Hello, hello, welcome to the podcast. It's my weekend check-in podcast. It's me, it's me, Al. How are you doing? I'm checking in with you. Hope you've had a good week. I hope these hailstones aren't uh, on on stinging your legs. They sting your legs, don't they? As I've just found out, I've, uh, I'm just back from a run, and uh, I looked out of the window beforehand, and I thought, right, it's holding up. The weather's holding up. I'll just sneak out before it turns. And of course, the moment, the moment that I was out the door, it started to really hail it down, and it does sting your legs. It does. I'm not even messing. And the good thing was, I was thinking, had that have started just like five minutes earlier, I mightn't have even gone out. I mightn't have gone out at all. So it's true what they say, ignorance is bliss. I tell you what, it's cold. I need some gloves. I haven't, I haven't got any gloves. And um, oh, my hands were like, uh, my hands were like ice. My hands were like ice. <laughs> so I need to get myself some gloves for me running. And I'm running, as, as you, you probably remember... I've decided to um, train myself up to to do a 5k run on my birthday weekend in February. So on February the 10th, I'm doing a 5k run for Asylum Link Merseyside. And um, oh, hang on, let me tell you where I'm, I'm up to at the moment because it's doing quite well. Um, you can sponsor me if you want to get involved, you see. Hang on, I'm going to tippy type. So if I go to parisongs.co.uk forward slash 5k and it'll give you some of the details and the link in order to do it, which I'm going to click on now. Here we go. So I'm trying to raise uh, £200 for Asylum Link Merseyside. They work with uh, asylum seekers and refugees. And I just thought it'd be a good thing to do to kind of to kind of blow a raspberry at the Daily Mail. Who wouldn't want to do that? Who wouldn't want to blow a raspberry at the Daily Mail? And with, uh, let's see, where are we now? We're probably just over two months to go. Already, a collection of refugee heroes, as I'm calling you, have already um, hit 32% of my target. So the £65 in, the nice thing I like about this as well, by the way, is that many of the people have um, <laughs> they've, they've uh, given gift aid. And I think that means that the government have to give money to Asylum Link, doesn't it? Um, so it's normally like around about 25% in gift aid. I think that's what gift aid is, that the government agree to match charitable giving. And uh, <laughs> so that's that's quite funny to me. Every every tenner that gets uh, put in the pot, the, the government has to give £2.50 gift aid to asylum seekers. Um, so that's, that's funny. But yeah, so, so far, I've got £65 worth of my £200 target. So join in. All you have to do, and you can <laughs> you can send me running out in the hail just to train for this for this thing. Um, yeah, all you have to do is go to parisongs.co.uk forward slash 5K. So that's the number five and the letter K because I'm running a 5K. You can see the logic, can't you? You can see what I've done there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just go to there, click the link. And uh, it'll take you to the uh, Just Giving page, and then you can you can donate uh, to Asylum Link and uh, annoy the Daily Mail. I'm sure, they'd hate this, wouldn't they? I'm sure, they'd hate this. So, uh, big thanks so far to Neil Callan and the gang from the Kindfulness Coffee Club, and to Mick Goodman and to D or Die Carol. Not sure how to pronounce it, but thank you, Mandy Veer. Thanks for that, Mandy. And I've also got an anonymous one. Do you know, like those? Um, <laughs> do you know, like those uh, big fundraising um, kind of buildings and stuff? You know, they have like a a big building, and sometimes they just say, "This was donated by anonymous." There was an episode of Larry David. Do you remember that one? Uh, Care your enthusiasm, <laughs> where he'd anonymously donated a wing to some building or whatever. And it was called the Larry David Wing, and there was like a <laughs> there was like a reception to celebrate him. But the other wing was donated by Anonymous. Um, but actually, it was Ted Danson, and Ted Danson was kind of telling people it was him, so he was getting all the benefits of doing it anonymously. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, you can do it anonymously, and then tell people. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So thank you, everyone. Um, 
All of those people, Neil, Mick, D, Di, Mandy, and Anonymous. I actually know who Anonymous is, but I can't tell you because they don't want you to know who Anonymous is. You know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why that is, really. Um, a regular listener. So, um, yeah, I, I did ask, but I didn't get an explanation that, that, that made any sense to me. So, uh, but thank you anyway for the donation and for filling in three minutes of air time. <laughs> but I wasn't going to talk to you about this. It was. I'm looking at the weather now, by the way, and it's all gone. Uh, it's all gone very calm. Um, <laughs> no doubt, if I open the door again, the hails would 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 fall. So, um, what was I going to talk to you today? I never really know, do I? I never really know. I, I was going to tell you about my five k run. I tell you what has happened though. This is high drama. I always go for a run um, with earphones in, and I play a podcast, and it just passes the time a little easier. To have your mind distracted away from the immense pain your body is in. <laughs> and um, I've noticed that they've gone a bit wonky, my earphones. So nothing was coming out of the right the right earphone. And so I thought, well, that's okay. I'll just, I'll just do it. You know, I can still hear it. It's coming through my left. I'll just turn it on full. And it's not like I'm running at a time where there's tons of traffic. So, uh, so that's what I've been doing for a while now. Just listening out my left ear. And uh, today I was thinking, oh God, this 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 podcast isn't working. Why isn't this podcast app working? And of course it was, but my earphones are now completely and utterly dead. So I had to run. I'm going to have to try and get more of them. If anyone's got any spare earphones, then let me know because uh, you know it saves it saves ordering someone to create some more, and it's it's economically friendly, isn't it? And also ecologically friendly. So uh, if anyone's got any spare earphones, let me know, because I had to do my run today with no distraction, and it was a little bit harder. It was quite meditative, though, as well, actually. You know, it was a bit like a meditation. My friend Chris used to be a runner, and he used to say that was his way of meditating while running. Um, And I can kind of get that, but I would rather listen to a podcast. And it, it also kind of... It's interesting, isn't it? You listen to a podcast, you get some new ideas and stuff like that. So yeah, I need to replace my earphones because the ones I've got are really broke. They just don't work anymore. I was going to tell you last week about... um, Hang on, I'm going to give a little cough. I'm going to come away from the microphone. Hang on, one minute. (coughs) Oh, that's better. Don't you like a a good little cough? You know, just from time to time. Doesn't it cheer you up? (laughs) Um... Yeah, I meant to tell you last week, and I forgot. And uh, I was talking, wasn't I, a little bit about Bill Shankly, about how he used to get the Liverpool players when he was in charge just to sit around after their run um, so they didn't sweat all day, just have a cup of tea and stuff. And I meant to tell you as well something that I saw about Bill Shankly, my hero, my all-time hero. Um, I saw this news story pop up. I don't know if you saw it. But it was something up in up in Coventry, down in Coventry, I suppose, isn't it? Down in the Midlands. And it just got kind of shared around. And there's this guy, and I can't remember his name now. Um, but he encountered Bill Shankly at Huddersfield Town, you know, because Shankly used to be the manager of Huddersfield before he came to Liverpool. And this lad was um, trying to be a professional footballer. And he was one of these kids who'd never done that well at school and... Uh, football was his big chance, really, and Shankly just knew that, you know, he was never going to make it as a footballer. And uh, but he saw something else in this lad, you know. So he 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 went to the lad and just decided to be honest. He went, "Listen, Shan, <laughs> I can't really do a good Bill Shankly, but I'm going to try. <laughs> Listen, Shan, <laughs> you'll never make it as a footballer." But he could be a very good teacher. So he, he saw this in him. You know, he thought, you're never going to be a footballer, but you may well make a really good teacher. He saw that quality in him. And so what he actually did, get this, right, didn't tell anybody about it, but he paid for the lad to go to teacher training college. He actually, because this lad was from a working class background, wouldn't necessarily have had the finances. So Shankly 
while while ending his footballing dream out of a kindness because he knew it wasn't going to work out for him. And who's a better judge than Bill Shankly, mind you? Um, saw something else in him. Saw something else in him and then kind of made that happen. And that lad went on to be one of the leading educationalists of his generation. So huge change in that person's life and, of course, changed lots of other people's lives as well, as always happens. So you give someone a, a an act of kindness, like an insight, followed by and then backing it up with some generosity as well to try and move it on that next step. And it, it just changed that person's life. And it, it got me thinking really about, I mean, first of all, wonderful story and a very typical story about Bill Shankly. You can see why I absolutely love him. But the power of changing one's, one person's life, we understate it, I think, don't we? We understate the power of changing one person's life because this is what I think. It's impossible to change one person's life. You go and try and change one person's life and I guarantee that you'll fail because whenever you change one person's life, you can't limit the change to that one person. It always You can only ever change many lives. You know, we're all so interconnected that if you just try and change one life, you'll never, ever be able to do it. You'll only ever be able to change many lives or none. And that's how it works. So, you know, <laughs> with politics, you know, people who are politically active, you know, you're trying to change the world all in one fell swoop. And, you know, that's 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 what I used to do a lot of. And I think, I think as I'm getting older, I'm seeing the power of changing individual lives because you can't, you can't change an individual life. You know, whoever that teacher was who taught J.K. Rowling to read and write didn't just change the possibilities for that child. You know, didn't just change that one person's life because how many other lives have been changed as a result of just that small, small growth that they had a hand in? So, um, so yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of power in changing an individual life just because it's so impossible to do. And uh, even changing your own life is not a selfish act because you can't just change your own life. You'll be changing the lives of everybody around you. I mean, look at that. J.K. Rowling learns how to write and so writes that book. And look at all the films that were made and, you know, the people whose careers have been made, those young actors, for instance, who that's what they do now. And you can never change one life. So try doing that. There's a lot of stuff that we try and change about the world and they're all tied in what I call if chains. And an if chain is where you go, well, if I do that, then that would that would happen. And if that happens, then that might happen. And then if that happens, then that might happen. And you have these chains of if statements where if they all kind of, if all the dominoes top over, you're going to get this change at the end of it that's the thing that you really want. But it's kind of like a fool's paradise, isn't it? Because what's the chances of all them ifs, you know, coming to pass? And you only have to read a, a cabinet minister's diaries to realise how even someone who's in the cabinet, how little power they have. Just watch an episode of The Thick of It, for that matter. <laughs> yeah, just watch an episode of The Thick of It. These people are really quite powerless. But we've all got the power, first of all, to change our lives, but also... To do something like Shankly did there. To change the life of another person. And it ripples on. So there you go. J.K. Rowling learns to write and writes that book. Her life was changed in that moment. But not just her life. You know, that film happened. And so Daniel Watts' face, who became Harry Potter. His life was changed. But not just his life. So many people around him. You know, people who are as yet unborn, their lives have been changed. And so it's like this exponential ripple effect that never, ever ends. Whenever you change one life, you're changing the world. So that's kind of how I'm viewing it. Uh, all from that little Shankly story. But it's true. I bet you can't change one life. I bet you. I dare you. <laughs> Go out and try and change one life for the better. And you will never manage it because you'll always be changing many lives. And so that's my, that's my philosophy. That's my philosophy. 
Um, what else was going to talk to you? Oh, I've uh, I've revamped. Do you know I feel a bit low energy today? Are you, are you picking this up? It is a Sunday, isn't it? And I've I've done a run, and I've had me shower, and I haven't eaten yet, and uh, yeah, I feel kind of uh, feel kind of low energy. Yeah, man. <laughs> feel low energy today. Uh, normally I'm quite perky. I'm like, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 look at this, look at that. I've done that. I'm, I'm just like, uh. <laughs> I haven't had that much sleep either. I've had about, oh, I've had about, oh, how much sleep uh, did I have? About six hours, I'd say. It's all right, isn't it? It's a can't complain. It's six hours, can you? Six hours is probably about my uh, about my ordinary kind of sleeping length. <laughs> oh dear. Do you know I'm saying oh dear because I just feel as though I'm rambling. I'm rambling from a very low energy place. You you can switch off if you like. <laughs> oh, I was gonna yeah I've spruced up me me uh, non music website. Come on Alan, get high energy. Woo! Come on, come on. I'm standing up. I'm standing up. Whoa! Move my arms up and down. Oh. there you go. There you go. It's pumping. I'll do me Superman pose. Oh. Hello again. <laughs> yeah, Matt, I've got a coaching website because I do a lot of coaching. I've done loads of coaching this past week, by the way. I even ended up on Lord Derby's estate with Lord Derby himself, the very man, the very lordship himself, um, looking at some of the facilities that he philanthropically allows the youth of Nosley to use. So I was there with, with Lord Derby. All right, Jar. How you doing, Jarby, lads? Uh, yeah, sounds. He didn't speak like that at all, no. Be good if he did, though, wouldn't it? You know, I think if you're going to have a lord who's based in Liverpool, <laughs> he should really have the accent, shouldn't he? Uh, all right, I'm Lord Jarby. Um, welcome to me estate. Uh, don't go over there, because that's a safari park. There's fucking lions in there, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's a... That we need to train him up, I think. I, I was thinking this, actually. I was thinking, because he mentioned he had kids. And uh, I was thinking, when you when you have kids and you're, Lord, you're like a Lord Derby or whatever, at some point, when do they pick up the accent? You know, how do you kind of... Even though he probably lives a very different life to many people, he's... His, his kids are still going to school, aren't they? Even if they're going to, like... I don't know, I don't know, I've got no idea where he sends his kids to school, maybe they board or something, but even if they're in a posh school in Liverpool, they're still going to be picking up a bit of the accent, surely. So uh, I had this thought, you know, at what stage does does a future Lord Derby <laughs> just like have a Scouse accent? <laughs> hey, I'm just going up to Buckingham Palace, like, to see the family, you know. Um, yeah. Just come down from me safari park and uh, I'm going to see the Queen, like. It's got to happen, isn't it? That's what I want to see happen. I want to see a future Lord Derby with a a, a very uh, a very broad Scouse accent. <laughs> Standing there in the House of Lords giving a speech. Um, yeah, so I was telling you, I've done loads of coaching, but I've spruced up my coaching website. So where I have my kind of personal development blog, and all that at alanparry.com. Alan, of course, spelt the Welsh way, A-L-U-N, parry.com. Alanparry.com. If you go there, you can have a little nose. I've spruced it up. And uh, there's an there's an offer there where you can get two hours of uh, free coaching, one-to-one. No charge, no sales pitch. Um, so if you fancy that, go to alanparry.com. See the kind of work I do, who I do it for. And if you think you're a good fit... Um, fill your name and details into the little box and I'll get back in touch with you and we'll uh, we'll sort something out um, so yeah I did all that yesterday spent the whole day back on, on website duty, I haven't done website duty for a long time and in truth I don't really enjoy it but it needed to be done I was running before <laughs> in the hailstones and it was dead windy I think that's why the run was a little bit a little bit harder and I thought, God, that's annoying. Imagine having them as a neighbour. Someone had wind chimes. Um, like kind of the bottom of my road, they had wind chimes. What's the point of them other than to make things creepy in a horror film? You know, it was like nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. 
and it was it was really blowy. And these wind chimes are going ten to the dozen. That's got to do your head in. If you're <laughs> if you're if you're in the house next door and your bedroom is by the wind chimes, you're gonna have to have a word, aren't you? You're gonna have to knock and say, you know, hey, hey, Lord Darby, <laughs> take your wind chimes in. Your wind chimes. What do you mean wind chimes? You can't even talk. Don't be coming here talking to a lord. Telling me about me wind chimes when you can't even say them. Yeah, it wasn't Lord Derby's house who had the wind chimes, but... <laughs> uh, I think my brain is starved of oxygen, you know. I think that's what it is. I've had no food. <laughs> I've, had, I've had nothing. You know, it's 20 to 12 as I'm recording this. I've had no food. And I, I need to get a move on, really, and, and get some food, because I'm going to see... Um, I'm going to see Henry Priestman. Henry Priestman's got a, a half-two show in Liverpool City Centre with Les Glover. They've got a joint album out. So I'm going to see Henry and Les. Um, so I need to I need to be there really by by about two. So I need to get I need to get me soup on relatively soon. Um, bear that in mind. Keep an eye on the clock. Uh, but that should be good. They, they, they always put a good show on. If you ever get a chance to see Henry Priestman and Les Glover, go and see them because uh, it's good fun. And speaking of good fun, I saw a fantastic... A fantastic film. Um, what was it called now? Oh yeah, that's what it was called. It was called uh, the Man, the Man in the Moon, or Man on the Moon. One of the two. Jim Carrey, and he's playing the comedian Andy Kaufman, or Andy Kaufman, however you pronounce it. <clears throat> and he was the guy who played um, Lacker, was his name, the foreign guy in Taxi. I never really watched Taxi. It didn't appeal to me as a kid. It looked kind of dull. But then again, I should give it a watch because as a kid, I thought that about Rise and Damp. And I, I love Rise and Damp. It's like one of my favourite all-time comedies, that now, Rise and... My God! My God! <laughs> I've got my hands behind me, but I'm holding me back, Rigsby. My God! Um, <laughs> yeah, so man on, man on the Moon, Man in the Moon. One of the two. You know, I don't really like... American comedies, you know, like Hollywood type comedies, because they're just like um, I feel as though they're either like anaesthetic, they play it safe, so it's just kind of like a, a dull anaesthesia that you get from watching them, or they're like really juvenile, you know, they're really designed for like sixteen-year-old boys. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I don't really, uh, I don't really get into them so much, but I do like Jim Carrey. I like, I like. I like the fact that he acts daft and he's a bit of a clown. And I thought, well, I'll watch this because I knew this documentary was coming out called Jim and Andy um, that had, had got a lot of attention. I thought, well, I, I'll watch I'll watch the film that it's talking because Jim and Andy, are, it's, a, it's a documentary of how Jim Carrey actually stayed in the Andy Kaufman character for the whole time he was on set and how that was very annoying for his co-stars as well. So I, I watched the documentary too afterwards and that's interesting. Um, but the film Man and the Moon... Uh, true story about the life of Andy Kaufman. It was just hilarious. And I found myself just going into chesty laughs, like even a few days later. And uh, knowing nothing about Andy Kaufman, what a mad get. <laughs> just wonderfully um, bonkers. And I really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> really enjoyed it. Very, very different kind of acting and an interesting kind of provocateur of a person. And I really loved the film. And then I, what's his name, I, I went onto YouTube and, and started digging out um, clips of Andy Kaufman himself. And again, that made me laugh too. And I just highly recommend it. It's an old film, it's from 1999. And I don't know how I missed it at the time. But if you've missed it, watch it. Because it's really, really, really good starring Jim Carrey. Who I like anyway. Because um, he's silly. <laughs> and I've been reading... Um, from a book club. I haven't been to book club for a couple of months. First time because I just hated the book um, that I was reading called uh, Birdcage Walk. Nothing happens in it. I was on 186 pages, nothing happened. And I just decided not to go for that one. And last month's one I didn't go because with it being October, back end of October, they had like a scary book. <laughs> and I'm I'm a total wuss. I don't do horror or that. I, I was scared of gremlins. For me, gremlins was like... 
you remember when Gizmo was on at the start and he's like, and he's like watching like, um, what was he watching? He was like watching motor racing. And he sat there going, you know, driving an imaginary car. And he was just like so cute, wasn't he? I, and I was just in love with this little Gizmo. And I thought, yeah, just give me 90 minutes of watching this thing. And then like 25 minutes in, the whole thing breaks down and all these horrible gremlins come. And then it got scary for me. So I actually got scared of gremlins. I did finish it. But I was unnerved afterwards. You know, I, I wasn't keen on going into that kitchen. Uh, and we didn't even have a blender. You know, but even so, that scene where the gremlin's in there with the blender. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought, well, I'm not going to read a scary books. I think scary books get in your head more, don't they? You know, at least you can look away on a scary film, maybe. But uh, I thought, no, I don't fancy a scary book. So this is my first month back after a... After a uh, hiatus, and it's called. It's a book by an author that I like. I read um, a book of his called Humans, um, some some months back, maybe last year, and really liked that. And that might have actually been for the book club as well. I'm not sure how I got into that, but this one is called How to Stop Time, and I've not quite finished it yet, but I'm not far off. So if I read that tonight, and see if I can see if I can try and finish it tonight, maybe. Um, when I get back home and then I'll have something to talk about it'll be fresh in my mind tomorrow so when the book club is so I've been reading How to Stop Time by Matt Haig and again really recommend it I like him as a writer anyway I think he was a mental health nurse um, and he was also a poet I might be wrong on his history but I think from my memory and it, he just writes very kind of lovely poignant stories and interesting stories as well um, so this is about a guy who has some sort of medical condition, which means that, do you know, like there's that medical condition where people kind of speed up their aging. So even when they're very, very young, they look like a little old man, and yet they're about 12. Well, it's the opposite of that. It's like you age incredibly slowly, and so you live for like hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's about a guy who has this condition, and it's it's really interesting. It's a really good read. And I, I, I've enjoyed that a lot. So uh, How to Stop Time, another recommendation there by Matt Haig. Um, and speaking of books, my own book's been getting some nice feedback. Remember, you can you can, you can can get hold of that at parrysongs.co.uk forward slash book or book. Lord Darby probably says book. Hey, Alan, <laughs> where's your book? So um, you can get that there. Now, the weird thing is if you choose the Amazon link and you choose to get the print version rather than the Kindle version, for some reason that's only known to Amazon, it's, uh, it says temporarily out of stock. And it's not out of stock. You can order it and it'll arrive. So ignore the, the soft sods. Even better, you could get it direct from the publisher. And even better or maybe just just as good. Let's not Let's not compare them. Um, I don't know whether they've got them yet, but check news from nowhere. Our radical independent bookstore on Bold Street, um, pop in there because if they haven't got them yet, they're in the process of getting them. And so you could probably order them from news from nowhere, in fact. And uh, even if it's not there, you, there's loads of books that you can look at. So yeah, so parrysongs.co.uk forward slash book. And there's the links there to Amazon and Kindle and the publisher. And uh, you've also got the option of ordering that, I'm sure, as well, from News From Nowhere itself, I'm hoping. So so check that out, because it's been getting lovely feedback. It was illustrated by fellow folky Tracy Curtis, and um, people seem to be liking it. So Crimbo's coming up and all that. In fact, with Crimbo coming up, let me say this. Um, if you're looking for, like, presents, um, obviously I've got a load of albums and the good thing about my albums is that um, they're all kind of like pay what you like. So especially if you're short of a few bog, Crimbo coming up, because it's a weird time of year, isn't it? It's kind of a pressured time of year. What you can do is go to parrysongs.co.uk and let's see, where should you go? Scroll down and go to store. I'm just clicking on it now because obviously I don't go on this myself. Um... Bum-ba-dum-ba-dum. Yeah, I th actually, I need to update this link. So I'm, I'm clicking on Freedom Rider. 
Listen, I'll, I'll tell you what to do. Let me tell you what I'm gonna do. Dun, 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 dun. I'm gonna send cheap music to you. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> cheap Christmas presents for your friends. Dun, 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 dun. Let's see. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what you need to do. Right. I do this thing called give from the heart pricing. And I need to update it because I've actually added Freedom Rider into that. And it looks from my website as though I haven't. So ignore my website, actually. Go to alanparry.bandcamp.com. And when you go to alanparry.bandcamp.com, there's a little link on the top left where it says music. And when you click on music, um, it'll take you then to all my albums. Well, all of them, actually, apart from... Um, Tressel and me. So if you go, you can click on any of them, and they're all, um, yeah, they're all they're all give from the heart. So if you're buying the CD, all you have to do is just cover the um, CD production basically, because that that's obviously a physical product. So it's two pounds or more for any of my stuff, um, and if you wanted the download, it's free or more. So if you're looking for for Crimbo Prezies. Obviously, if you can afford to throw stuff in my jar as well, that helps me pay my bills and keep on making music. But what I try and do is put as much of my stuff as give from the heart pricing as possible. So you can just uh, go along there. Um, and for CDs, even the CDs themselves, the minimum price is just £2. And that, uh, yeah, that pays for... You have to pay for sh Do you have to pay for shipping? I don't even know. I can't remember. But go along to alanparry.bandcamp.com and if you're looking for some uh, good radical crimbo prezies for your pals, then, uh, then then go along there because you're not going to pay an awful lot at all. You're basically going to cover the cost. And if you want to throw more in, well, you can do. Of course you can. Um, you can share the love with me. That'd be nice. <laughs> um, but you don't have to. Um, you, can just, uh, you can just stock up there. So uh, feel free to do that. And uh, I just need a swig of water. Hang on. You always have a, a bit of water drinking on this show. Uh, I was hearing the other day about... Uh, <laughs> I was hearing the other day about... Um, oh, what are they called? Non-league football team called Dulwich Hamlets. And um, Dulwich Hamlets apparently are kind of a radical football club. Um, or oh, that's how it was put across. Like their fans have got like kind of progressive attitudes. Uh, I'm just googling them actually. Dulwich Hamlets. Oh, Dulwich Hamlet. There's only one. There's no S. Oh, it seems that they won one nil yesterday. They played at home to Lowestoft Town. Um, so yeah. Anyway, I won't go into how they work or whatever. But apparently, their their fans have got this reputation of being quite progressive. Um, and uh, they play in the same division as the non-league team called Met Police. So this is like the Metropolitan Police's non-league football team. Um, and Dulwich Hamlet are actually playing them on the 20th of January, so we might get a repeat of this. But last time the Dulwich Hamlet played um, the Met Police, I was listening to this on a podcast, they come up with some amusing... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you've got all these kind of progressive fans on the terraces, lefties and radicals and everything, supporting Dulwich Hamlet, and they're playing the Metropolitan Police team in, the, in their non-league um, match. And uh, my favourite chance that they came up with is, uh, <laughs> as they're playing the game, they were pointing down at the others singing, Repressive state apparatus! State apparatus, repressive state apparatus, state apparatus. <laughs> so I really like that. I thought I thought you'd I thought you'd get a kick out of that as well. Um, and another good, uh, interesting thing. I was watching this show. I was watching this film, and it's called Comedian. And what basically happened? This is like fifteen years ago. Jerry Seinfeld of Seinfeld fame. Um, he finished his TV show, and of course, he'd started as a as a stand-up comic, hasn't he? <clears throat> and uh, after his TV show had finished, what he decided to do was 
basically retire all his old material. So rather than going back on the road and doing all the stuff that he knows works as a stand-up, he decided to start again and see if he could if he could build a whole new um, a whole new set from scratch. So you got this like probably the most famous at that time comedian in the whole of the United States of America. And he's back where he started and he's playing these little underground comedy basement sellers again, you know, just turning up on spec and saying, can I have 10 minutes and trying out his material and bombing and um, you're like failing badly and then fixing it and then doing well later on. And it was kind of an interesting journey. But they had this other guy on also that they were following a guy named Orny Adams, who I think has gone on to get some some sort of fame on a TV show. I don't know much about it, really. But he was a comic, and he'd been doing it... Like, it was paying his bills, this guy, you know. and he, So he was a professional comic, but he hadn't really broken through anywhere. Um, and he'd been doing it for three years, obviously very dedicated, very focused on it. Um, kind of an obnoxious guy, difficult to like, you know. He, he was really full of his own brilliance, um, and he, end, he, he he gets like a little deal with George Shapiro, who, funnily enough, was Andy Kaufman's agent, and also I think I think Jerry Se- yeah Jerry Seinfeld's agent as well. So this top comedy agent, and um, anyway, this this Orny Adams guy is is sharing his doubts with Jerry Seinfeld, and he's like, you know, I wonder like I've been doing this for three years and and not really broken through and. You know, I wonder whether I should have been doing something with my life. And, and you can see the look on Jerry Seinfeld's face. He just doesn't get where they get. He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean? What else would you have been doing these last three years than performing here at these clubs? You know, what what, what else would you have been doing? And this guy's like, you know, some of my friends, you know, they're getting on in life. He's like, what are you talking about? Getting on in life, going up in the, What are you talking about? <laughs> You know, and, and you can see for Jerry Seinfeld, like, you're doing comedy for a living. You're playing these clubs. What's what's better than this? <laughs> and it's interesting as a fellow entertainer, you know, to be to be watching this approach because, like, Jerry Seinfeld's mindset is 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 much closer to mine, I think. And uh, <laughs> and this guy was like, well, you know, I look at my friends and they're they're getting on in the world. You know, they they they've. They joined Wall Street and they're in, and, and and the look of disgust <laughs> on Seinfeld's face. He's like, Wall Street? Are you serious? And then he stops him and he says, Yeah, listen, he says, This is my favourite showbiz story. So I'm gonna share Jerry Seinfeld's favourite showbiz story. And it's about musicians, so it resonates as well with me. But um <laughs> I can't remember which Glenn it is. It's either Glenn Miller or Glenn Campbell. I can't remember which one it is. But it does it doesn't really matter to the story. So whichever Glenn it is, they they um they're on a plane going to this show. He's got his band with him. So it may probably is Glenn Miller, isn't it? But who knows? Um watch the film, you'll find out for who it was, which Glenn it was. So anyway, they 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 can't land, the weather's terrible, they can't land at the airport, and they end up having to make this, it's only like one of these small planes that fit about a dozen people in, and they end up making this emergency landing just in the middle of a field somewhere, you know, in the middle of nowhere, and uh, it's snowing, it's freezing cold, it's below zero or whatever, you know, the snow's on the ground, like knee-deep sort of snow, (laughs) And they're all just dressed in their show clothes. You know, they've got their suits on, they've got their instruments with them, and they're just in the in the middle of nowhere. Now they've got a now they've got to walk and try and find the show in order to play it that night. You know, that's their intention. So off they go, and they, <laughs> you know, imagine the scene. There's there's nothing for miles, so the wind is blowing. They've got no protection on because they thought they were just going to land and then be taken to this show somewhere. So they're just in their show clothes, they're bitter cold, they're freezing, they're shivering. Their legs and their feet are sopping wet because every step they take, they're going knee-deep, basically, into this snow. They're lugging all the instruments with them. (laughs) You couldn't really imagine a more miserable scene. And then finally they come to this kind of... They spot this cottage in the near distance and so cold they are that... They're marching their way towards this 
towards this cottage, you know, towards some um, civilization. Um, but they're still, I mean, every step, their feet are wringing wet. They're absolutely shivering. They're dragging these instruments behind them. And <laughs> they're casting some, some kind of miserable collection of human beings. And they finally get to this kind of house in the middle of nowhere. And they look through the window. And inside they see this scene. And it's a family around a dinner table. And there's a, a fella there and he's smiling and he's chatting away to his wife and she's smiling and laughing back and they're sharing a joke and they're eating this hearty meal, you know. They're eating this like hearty roast dinner and their kids are around and they're having their dinner as well and they're all sharing a joke and a laugh and tucking into their food. And in front of them, at this, uh, at this lovely scene... <laughs> At this lovely scene where they're eating their dinner around the table is this lovely open fire. You know, this hearth and this lovely open fire, this kind of idyllic scene. <laughs> and outside at the window are these poor godforsaken musicians who are dripping wet and shivering and freezing and lugging these instruments and in the middle of nowhere. And as they look at this scene of warmth and connection and food and togetherness and the roaring fire and one of the musicians just says man how do people live like that <laughs> so that's Seinfeld's favorite uh, showbiz story <laughs> yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna um I'm going to finish now with uh, with listeners' letters. Ba ba da ba, listeners' letters. Ba ba da ba, writing. Ba 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 ba, ba listeners' letters. I'll read them out on the show for you. So that's the new jingle. I've just made it up. Listeners' letters, and of course, uh, let's see. You know who it's going to be. Of course, I should call this Bill Ball's corner because this is Bill Ball again. Um, I like saying your name, Bill. Bill Ball. Yeah, great name great name very efficient as well because even though there's eight characters in the name you only need five letters so i like that as well bill ball anyway bill wrote to me after the last show and he says hi al hi bill right back at you baby <laughs> so bill says glad to hear that things are going in the right direction with the voice have you considered trying alexander technique therapy the best and possibly only Aussie invention since the boomerang. Ooh, controversial, Bill. I, I have thousands of uh, international listeners, as you know. <laughs> so any, any Aussies out there, come come back at Bill. Tell him, what are the best Aussie inventions other than the boomerang? Which is a pretty good one. So yeah, Alexander, I didn't realise actually that was an Aussie uh, invention. Um do you know what? I have tried the Alexander Technique probably about 15 years ago, and it was kind of interesting. And I still think of certain aspects of it. Alexander Technique is is a way to kind of train you to sort of realign and, and move your body differently. But I, I, I didn't really understand it. You know, I didn't kind of kinesthetically understand it. So I'd leave the session and think, I don't really know what I'm meant to be doing here. And I remember I'd be there and I'd be trying to, I don't know, I'd be sat on a train and trying to, put it into practice and the only thing I really remember about the Alexander technique is the way of getting up where you can use gravity you know move yourself to the tip of the chair and then use gravity to kind of help you know you bend right forward and, and help gravity gravity helps you the rest of the way so I did try it a long time ago but I just didn't understand it so I couldn't really integrate it you know into my life but I have tried that so you find that a good thing do you well, write, write back and, and let me know. Anyone else tried the Alexander technique and, and tell me what I was maybe doing wrong? He also goes on to talk about psychotherapy because I was talking about that in the last show, was I not? And he says, uh, I was interested in your take on psychotherapy and talking cures. I've never really understood as a layman why therapy focuses on trauma rather than positives. Do you think there's too much emphasis on the cathartic? It's interesting because I was talking about solution-focused therapy and I've actually tried it on myself and I've, I've incorporated it as well into my 
coaching sessions. So I've done quite a lot of coaching this week and I've started doing it as a solution focused coach. Um, and I think it brings a lot more results that way. And also I've been dealing with something myself this week <coughs> that I wanted to kind of be coached on. And I decided to self-coach because I thought it'll be more practice at, at putting this solution-focused stuff in, you know, at implementing it. But also, I want to get the benefits of it myself. And there's not many solution-focused coaches around, really, following that tradition. So that's what I did. I did like journaling. You know, I did like 15 pages worth where I would play both the coach and, or therapist, same deal, isn't it, really? Um, and the client and had this kind of conversation with myself um, as a journal, where I'd ask myself a question, I'd respond, then I'd empathically listen and, and ask another question on the base of that, all focused on trying to bring results. And it, it worked for me as well. I ended up getting a, a whole load of strategies in place for trying to fix the problem that I'm, I, I've been dealing with. And I think, I think maybe the reason why therapy focuses on the past rather than the future and digs into the oh so you're feeling bad why is that i think it's maybe a hangover from a traditional way that we we do solve problems in our in our own lives don't we so let's say for instance if there was like let's give an example just like a mechanical example no my mind's gone blank my mind has gone blank yeah let's say my cooker wasn't working i would try and find the thing or my car broke down i would try and find the thing that was stopping it working and a lot of the time that works doesn't it it's like oh this isn't working like your computer doesn't work or your internet's not picking up and it's like mm, let's try and find what's stopping this from working ah the cable's disconnected i'll plug it back in so um i think it's just a natural sort of follow-on from that really that when people started to try and engage psychological issues like you know st stuff that was problematic in in life that we do the same thing but i think i think increasingly the evidence is showing that <clears throat> focusing on the solution is is uh is a better and more dynamic way of of going about it but i think that's probably where it stems from and sometimes that does help uh if there's like a, a quick fix to that but it also i think involves a lot of speculation because sometimes we don't really know why something is happening um, and you'll hang your hat on a particular narrative. I've done this because I've had therapy as well. You have to have it um, when, you, when you're when undergoing psych, you know, when you're training to be a psychotherapist. But also I've had it once because I chose to as well. Um, but I've noticed this, like you're trying to find the reason why something is how it is. And so what I was doing, I'm sure what other people do as well, you find the narrative that kind of fits you know, it's like, oh, maybe it's that, you know, and you hang your hat on that particular hook. And then a part of you is going, is it really that? Or is that just the most fitting narrative? Was there something else at play? So you're engaging a lot of speculation there because unlike your internet going down where you can actually find the actual problem uh, and you know that that's the reason and so you can fix that particular thing, Human beings aren't really like that. And so I think it's much more beneficial to go straight to the solution and try and think about it, try and think about it in those terms. And Bill's put as well. Also, do you think there's an element of the emperor's new clothes in psychotherapy? We can't challenge orthodoxies because the best brains in the business have never challenged them before, question mark. Or is it like economic theory, a current theories in fashion? So we'll incur the opprobrium of the experts if we challenge it. And then our career is screwed. <laughs> yeah. The thing about psychotherapy for me is I think the model is far less important than everybody thinks it is. And I think that's where the emperor's new clothes bit comes in. And the, that's why I'm interested in solution-focused stuff because that provides a process so I remember when I first started training and my tutor used to, um, well, I always used to ask annoying questions. But if you read the studies about why therapy has any effectiveness, it's never really down to the model. It's always down to the client's own resources as the number one thing. The second thing is the relationship between the client and the therapist. And then the third thing 
is the client's adherence to the model being used. So, and in all of those three things, the client plays a really predominant role. I mean, the first one, it's pretty much all about the client. So of those things that you play a part in as a therapist, it felt as though it was like, okay, so it's the relationship. It's the relationship that's more important. Because when you compare, there's like about 400 odd models. It's it's really strange. There's tons and tons of them. It's real shiny object syndrome or emperor's new clothes syndrome, as you put it. They all, they all work as effectively as each other. And that's down to something that they call common factors theory. Like, all right, all these models are different, but they're all producing the same result because of the things that they have in common, which are the things I've kind of just mentioned. They've all got clients who've already got their own resources. They all involve a relationship between clients and therapist. They've all got a, a model um, which the client either does or doesn't kind of adhere to, and and things like that that they hold in common is why they're working. And so it doesn't really make a lot of sense to start getting too excited about this model of, um, you know, this theory of personality as opposed to that theory of personality. All these models of um, identifying what's wrong with a person and why that is. And so I used to ask then, you know, going back a few years... Why are we spending four years learning a model? I used to say to my tutor, if the relationship's important, why aren't we why aren't we spending that amount of time in terms of trying to build a relationship that's actually going to be beneficial to the other person? And that's where I am now, really. So I think, yeah, I think these models of identifying, um, you know, theory of personality, theories of communication, and coming up with models. That, uh, that allow you to kind of understand what's going on in terms of the person's psychology. I think maybe they're not as important as people thought they were. And I think what's more important is the, is the process. So if you look at those stats, you know, the client and their own resources is the number one, um, the number one thing for change. You know, that accounts for more of the change in therapy than anything else. And it's part of the reason as well, by the way, why it's a very common thing that many people will actually show improvement in the time between making the phone call to book the appointment and actually showing up to their first appointment. There's normally a, 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 an improvement, or very commonly anyway, an improvement in that time frame. So if I were to phone up a therapist now and I don't have an appointment until Friday, between now and Friday, it's very likely that I will actually psychologically improve. And of course, I haven't even seen the therapist yet. That's all based on my own kind of optimism and uh, my own resources and so on. And so I think having a process that guides the person that you're working with to harness those resources that they already have makes more sense than going in and and doing what one of my therapists used to do, which was kind of like, as I was talking, would kind of smile and point out <laughs> various sorts of injunctions that I was following. Oh, that's that. So he was, it was kind of like he was speaking out loud my pathology, basically, if I can call it that, um, with a big smile on his face as I was talking. <laughs> oh, don't be important. <laughs> don't belong. You know, these kind of little things that he was spotting in some... Don't make it. All these kind of things that he would spot in me. But it didn't bloody help, you know. Um, it just kind of jarred. And that sometimes I wanted to strangle him. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I think that's much less helpful. And I think it's... If, if the client's own resources is, like, the number one factor in change, then let's have a process that harnesses what those resources are. If the relationship between the therapist and the client is the second most powerful um, indicator of change, let's have a process um, which is going to really nurture that relationship and build it into a really effective alliance. And if the third most effective reason of change is um, what you know, whether the client believes in your model, well, throw your model out. Everyone's got a model. We've all got a way of seeing the world. So let's just use the one that the client brings in with them. Let's use a process for finding out what that is. And we'll we'll use that. So increasingly, all what what well not increasingly, I've always had this sense that the process was more important 
than the model. And the model is what everyone gets excited about and makes you feel kind of makes you sound clever because you can kind of look at a situation and say, oh, yes, this is what's happening here. Um, yet there don't be important injunction is kicking in and they're being protected by a be perfect driver. And it all sounds very clever. Um, but I think the model is much, much, much less important um, than the process. And I've felt that for a long time. But having encountered solution-focused therapy, which doesn't bring a model but brings a process... Um, then yeah, I think I think that's why philosophically it fits me so well. So thanks for your comments, Bill. Always interesting to chat to you through this uh, through this medium. And anyone else who wants to be part of uh, part of what did I call it? Listeners' letters. Um, get in touch. I'm at al at parrysongs.co.uk. That's al at parrysongs.co.uk. Or you can do what Bill does, which is just leave a comment on the website. You can get this podcast. Um, at parrysongs.co.uk and you can also get it anywhere you get your podcasts Apple Podcast, um, Stitcher you know all of these kind of places you'll you'll find the podcast and with that I'm going to love you and leave you except with one thing that I want to share with you I'm going to go and see him prowls on Saturday and uh, hopefully he'll be singing My Name is Desi Warren which I wrote and he did invite me up uh, like he did on the last show to um to sing the final verse, but I think given that he's <laughs> he's about four semitones higher than me in key, which I managed to I managed to reach quite easily last time. Um yeah and with my voice being the way it is, it's been a bit crackly on this on this uh, podcast actually. That's why I've been having a couple of swigs of water. What I've decided to do is just pass on that. Which is a shame because there's like there's going to be a lot of people there watching them, fifteen piece band and everything. So it would be lovely to get on stage with them. But seeing as I'm going to have to stretch in order to hit them high notes that Ian does, I think it's probably um, it's probably a good idea that I sit I sit in the audience. So I'm going to go and uh, be part of the crowd. If you're going as well, say hello, and uh, we can have a chat and a bop together. Until then, is your song of the week? I don't know what it is yet. But uh, I hope you enjoy it anyway. Tatty, bye! I could be a blue bottle, you could be my Venus flytrap. I could be your entertainer, you could be my slow handclap. I could be your trailer park, you could be my tornado. I could be your lovesick spider, you could be my black widow. I could be your bumper crop, you could be my plague of locusts. I could be your science book, you could be my hocus pocus. I could be your vegetation, you could be my forest fire. I could be your urgent journey, you could be my flat tire. You my addiction and I need my fix of you. And I know that you're no good for me. What am I to do? And I should have gone for crack cocaine, heroin or booze. You my addiction and you screw me up. But I'm just hooked on you I could be your non-believer You could be my God Almighty I could be your night of passion You could be my flannel nighty. I could be your perfect cabbage You could be my caterpillar I could be your sexy football You could be my Aston Villa And I need my fix of you And I know that you're no good for me But what am I to do? And I should've gone for crack cocaine Heroin or booze You my addiction and you screw me up But I'm just hooked on you I could be your ozone layer You my CFC mission I could be your listed building, you could be my demolition I could 
could be a free-range chicken You could be my Colonel Sanders I could be a Homer Simpson You could be my Ned Flanders You my addiction and I need my picture of you And I know that you're no good for me But what am I to do? And I should've gone for crack cocaine, heroin or booze You my addiction and you screw me up But I'm just hooked on you You screw me up but I'm just hooked on you You screw me up but I'm just hooked on you